You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 11, there's so much great stuff here. We're going to just dive right on, right on in and get to it right away. So Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Okay, this is the problem in this chapter. Every line is incredible. Every line is important. Every line. You don't want to skip over anything. You don't want to, you don't want to miss out on anything. Um, faith is, he gives us a definition of faith, which is wonderful because, you know, so many of the great concepts of the Bible, the great, uh, uh movements of the Bible, we, ha- we, we work at getting a, a working definition and really understanding and, and, and here, boom, he just gives us a definition. There it is. Bam. This is what faith is. And uh, now, now I have to caution you that this isn't a comprehensive definition. This captures one of the aspects of faith very well. Actually, in a sense, two of them. Uh, and, and, and there's more to faith than, than this. Now, now you have to know that, that, you know, language is important. And of course, here we are reading in English. And if you were to ask people, what is faith? I would imagine that you'd get one answer today. You'd get a very different answer 30 years ago. You'd get a very different answer 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago. Faith has evolved. The concept of what we understand as faith evolves. Unfortunately, today it's pretty much getting down to just a simple little small concept, which is simply belief. You know, uh, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you not believe? And yes, that is part of faith, but faith is so much more. It, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I love the word, the Hebrew concept or the Hebrew word emune, uh, because it has so many, uh, more richer understandings. You know, it's, it's loyalty. It's fidelity. It's, 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 yeah, it's belief, but it's just so much more than that. It's, it's trusting, it's relying on, it's leaning on, it's depending on, it's having hope in. There's so much more, but we start out with a couple of great definitions. So let's just jump right into that. He says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. We'll stop right there. Confidence in what we hope for. So obviously if something we're hoping for something, it means it hasn't happened yet. It's something in the future. And, and, and something that we have confidence about. And again, I'll play the devil's advocate. How can you be confident about something that hasn't happened? How can you be, be, be solid about something that has not happened? We don't know. We cannot predict the future. Therefore, how can you be confident about the future? Well, the truth is we're confident about many things in the future. I mean, most of us got up this morning. We weren't wondering if the sun rose. We weren't wondering if our city's still out there. We weren't wondering if our car's in the garage or in the driveway. We're just confident about all these things. There are many, many things we're confident about. We sat up in bed. We put our feet on the ground and we stood up. We weren't wondering if the roof, if the floor was going to hold us or not. So, I mean, the truth is you can't even get out of bed without having some faith, right? Faith in your building, faith in the house, faith on the floor, faith that your car's there, faith that your car's going to start. And maybe let's have, some of us have an old jalopy and we don't have faith that the car's going to start. Or we've, we've all had those kind of cars before. 
But especially if you have anything less than five years old, generally you can count on it. It's going to start up. So you don't even think about it. You don't get in your car and pray, oh, God, please help this car to start up. There are many things that we are confident in and we put our faith in. So one of the things, you know, people, people talk about, well, I don't live by faith and I don't believe in faith and da, 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 da. Well, that's not, that is not true. Everybody has faith in something. Everybody does. And, and if you can have faith in your car starting up, you know, when, when I sat in this chair, I didn't look at the bolts. I didn't check the screws. I didn't see if it was strong enough to hold me up or why? Well, because I've sat in this chair before and it held me up. I've sat in many chairs and they've held me. In fact, I've never had a chair collapse under me. So I have a lot of confidence. So based on past experience, I now put faith into the future. Based on past experience with God, I've been a Christian 38 years. I have full assurance. I have full confidence in God, that God is with me, that God is going to bless me, that if I do what's right, ultimately things are going to come out right. Even if they don't at first, God will straighten it back out and, and get me back on track. So, so it's not an outrageous thing. It's remembering all the things that have happened, everything, all the information you've gathered. It's knowing all this. And if we can put faith in a chair, then we ought to be able to put faith in the living God, right? So he says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Again, the devil's advocate would say, well, you know, how can you be, how can you be assured about something you can't see? I mean, sureness requires testing. So you got to be able to see it and touch it and, and make sure it's, it's, it's going to be there. That's how you get assurance. No, we're sure about many things that we can't see that we can, therefore we cannot test them or we don't have the instruments to test them. And, and there are many things. I mean, I always tell when I, when I teach classes about faith, I say, okay, I always ask students, how many of you have been to Mongolia? Of course, nobody, you know, every once in a while in a large crowd, there's always one, oh, I was there, you know, but mostly nobody's ever been there. And I said, well, how do you know it exists? And they all look at me and go, huh, you know, and then, and then somebody will just say, well, I've seen pictures. And I said, well, okay, I've seen pictures of people flying on brooms and playing Quidditch, but that doesn't mean that there's that there's brooms. I've seen pictures of dragons. That doesn't mean there's dragons. So there's lots of pictures of things that don't exist. They say, oh, well, we've talked to other people who've been there. Well, how do you know that they're telling the truth? How do you know they didn't make up Mongolia? How do you know that there is no such thing? Okay, so obviously being the devil's advocate, they're poking at what they're saying. But the point is, is that we have, we have assurance in many things we don't see. You know, how do we know the earth is really round? Have you ever seen it? So well, I saw pictures. Eh, we already know pictures don't count. Have you ever seen it with your eyes? Did you go up in space and look at the earth and see that it was round? Well, no. Okay, then then we're by faith believing that. In fact, we do many things by faith. I mean, we read textbooks in school and we just believe it. How do you know that history is not true? Actually, in fact, we're finding out that a lot of our history textbooks were not telling the truth, Right. So just because it's written doesn't mean that it's true. Doesn't mean that you could put assurance, but we do. We put things, we put a lot of faith. It's amazing to me, the stuff that people are believing on the internet now, especially in this time of 
political propagandizing everything. And people go, oh, wow, this person did this. How evil this person is. How do you know they really did that? How do you know that you don't know the backstory? You don't know what, what's happening. Well, this happened and that happened. Well, where'd you read that? Well, from the same website. Okay. You know, we, 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 we have a, sh- we walk around confident and assured about main things that we do not see. You know, I do, we, we drove across a bridge on the, I drove across several bridges on the way over here. I didn't see the rivets. I didn't see the cement. I didn't see what happened. I'm not sure. How do I know that the guys knew what they were doing? Every time we go to the doctor, have you ever seen his diploma? Have, did you see him graduate? Did you see, did you see all his, uh, him attending class and really passing those tests? No, you just believed it. And you believe it so strongly that you're willing to, to breathe in a gas that knocks you out and have somebody cut your body open and mess around in there. And you've totally trusted them. And you're totally relying on them, which is, by the de- by definition, faith. And something you have not seen. You didn't see him graduate. You didn't see it happen. But that's, so, so again, the point is, everybody has faith. And, and faith is very simple. It's, it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Right? We put a lot of trust and reliance and confidence and hope in things. And if we can put our trust and reliance and hope in things and people, surely we ought to be able to do it with God, who is way more reliable, way more trustworthy, and is the giver of hope. So faith is not an outrageous idea. It's a very real idea. And, and for some reason, though, when it comes to spiritual things, we, we can be very much doubters. We can be like Thomas, unless I touch it, unless I see it, unless I feel it, I'm not believing it. And yet we do believe in so many other things that we cannot touch, we cannot see, we cannot feel. He says, this is what the ancients were commended for. That is a huge statement right there. They were not commended for their righteousness. In fact, if you, when we go through this list, you're going to see a lot of these people majorly messed up. There are murderers on this list. There are adulterers on this list. There are people who lied and cheated and done all kinds of evil. And I'm just thinking of one person on this list. You go through the whole list and there's all kinds of sins. In this. You say, well, why in the world are they in the Hall of Fame? Why are they in this great chapter and being commended by God? Because of their faith. Because even when they blew it, they had the faith to repent, turn back to God and get right again. They knew, they knew, they believed this is the right thing to do. This is what I'm going to do. And they took action on that. So yes, also they did all these other incredible things by faith, but they're not on there because they're perfect. They're not on there because they're super righteous. They're not on there because they were so holy. They were made holy by their faith. Is it any different with us? No, even more so. It is our faith in Jesus. It is the faith that Jesus has towards us that saves us. So it's really important to understand that. Why? Because we try to do what's right and what's good. We try to, to, to be honest and be forthright and be pure and be holy. Not so that we can be saved. But because we are saved, that's why we do this. Not so that we can be accepted and loved by God, but because we are accepted and loved by God. 
that motivates us to do what's right and to be righteous and to reject sin and live a holy life. Okay, that's very important that we, that first is the horse and then the cart. We don't put the cart in front of the horse. We keep the cart behind the horse because the horse pulls the cart. It's the same thing with faith. It, we, we, because of faith, we live and we strive to be righteous and holy people. Not we strive and right to be right to be righteous so that we can be loved and be holy people. It's not that way. It's the other way. So then he says, and then he jumps on into his list. And this is, this is the great list right here. This is the, the, the most array, amazing list. He goes, by faith. Oh no, first he, for he gives another definition. By faith, we understand the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I love this. He says, by faith, you know, we, we know that the universe was, was created at God's command. For some reason, that's generally a concept we all accept. You know, God created the universe. It's when it gets down to, but will God take care of me and my problems this week? That's where we struggle. And, but we believe, yeah, God created the ball of gas that will burn for 50 billion years and give life and light and everything we need to the planet Earth. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure God could do that. But could he solve my problems? That's one I'm not sure about. That's the one we doubt God in. You know, well, is he going to get things right here? Is he going to help me? Is he going to love me? Is he going to be there for me? And the answer in all those things, of course, is yes, absolutely. Now, it might not be the way we want it, not by the way that in the timing we want it, but it will happen if we have faith, if we keep trusting him, if we keep relying on him. And he says, uh, he said, by faith, we understand the universe is formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So all these things that God used to create the universe, the elements, literally the elements that God has used, the atomic particles are not seen. In fact, when this was written, they didn't even know they exist, let alone see them. But by faith, we believed in it. We believed that God used the unseen to create what was seen. That's a step of faith. That actually isn't even a step of faith anymore because now we know those unseen particles. We know those things. Now there is a step of faith in the other things that are unseen. In fact, the truth is the most important things in the universe are unseen. We've not, we cannot see love as itself. You cannot see faith as itself. You cannot see loyalty. You cannot see, you can see the effects of it. You can see what it does. You can see the fruit of it. You can see the impact of it, but we can't see it. And many would argue even evil falls in that category. We cannot see it, but we know it's there because we see the effects of it. We see the impact of it. We see the results and the fruit of it. The fact that the the big things, the things that matter, love, faith, hope, all these things are unseen and they are what is most important in the universe. At the end of people's lives, they don't wish that they had more cars. They don't wish that they had had a bigger house. They don't wish that they'd had more money or more education or more titles or worked out more. What they wish always is that they'd spent more time with their loved ones, that they had built, spent more time with their friends, that they had devoted themselves to the things that are invisible and are so incredibly important. So we keep reading and he says, verse four, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. 
By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Okay, so we jump into the first example. And boy, you talk about starting out. You know, we're in Genesis chapter 4. We're all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. And he says, uh, by faith, Abel brought God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Here's the crazy thing is that we really, we don't know. I mean, there are what, about three or four verses about them? Uh, no, there's a little more than that, but uh, it's not much. I mean, it's, it's just not much. But, but, and there's only three or four verses about this offering that God was pleased with Abel's and not with Cain's. All we know is this, is that Abel brought the firstborn and the fat portions to God, right? And then it says that Cain brought some of his fruit. And we can assume by the fact that it says some, that it wasn't the first fruits and it wasn't the best of the fruits. And, and right there, boom, right from the start, we see a major problem is it's not that God, and uh, you know, somebody could argue, well, at least he brought something. Yeah, but he brought some, he didn't bring the first. And, and as we know, because we know the rest of the Bible, God always expects the first fruit, right? The first it's, it's even in the, in the Deuteronomy, the, in Leviticus, in the canonical law, when you plant a tree, the first three years, you're not to pick of the fruit. The fourth year, it goes to God. It is not until the fifth year that you're allowed to eat that fruit because always your first fruit goes to God. And, and it says something about what's important, you know, and whatever, whoever gets served first is almost always whoever's most important. You know, typically in a traditional family, dad is served first, right? Right. Because dad is the breadwinner. Dad is the one that goes out and work. Now, obviously that's not the case in most families today, but in a traditional family, you showed honor by honoring the, 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 the person of most importance in the groom, in the room or in the family at a wedding banquet. You don't serve the bride and groom last. You serve them first, right? You give to them first. It's a way that we show honor. And, and, and it could be argued that, well, yeah, but Cain and Abel didn't know the law. They didn't know all that stuff. Yeah, but it seems to be pretty intrinsic. It seems to be pretty instinctual that whoever you're honoring, whoever you value most is who you serve most. It's who you give to first. First, you feed them. First, you give to them. First, you check on their needs. And so what did Abel do? Well, he gave the first fruits to God. Okay. And, and, and it says uh, the firstborn of, uh, to God. And it says that he gave the fat portions. Now here's the really funny one, because today in the modern world, we hate fat. You don't know. We want to make sure it doesn't have any lard in it or not cooked with lard. You know, lard makes everything taste a lot better, but we, you know, we, we stay away from it. We, we, we avoid it. And, and, but in ancient times, fat was considered the best. I mean, that was literally, they would cut the fat and dry it. And, and then if you had a guest, you'd give them, you'd cut a piece of fat and give it to them. And you'd sit there and you guys would chew the fat. You know, that's even that phrase comes from that because you're honoring somebody that you saved something of value for them. And now here's the really funny thing is we're finding out that fat actually really helps your brain. If there's qualities of fat and elements of fat that your brain needs and it helps your brain. So you can actually come out Chew the fat, you come out smarter. But, but in ancient times, that was always a sign of honor. You give them some of the fat 
portions. That's why sometimes we read Psalms. He talks about you do, you know, you give to me the fat portions and people are like, Oh no, he gave him lard. No, that's, that was actually a really great thing. That was so, although it's tiny, it's subtle in the writing, you know, in Genesis chapter four, but it's huge because it says something. Even the small things we do say a lot about us, you know, about our faith. Whether we, you know, when we do our budget, are we first concerned about our contribution? Are we first concerned that we have enough time to serve and help others? Is our first thought, I need to make sure I get good time with my wife and kids? Or are they your last thought? With whatever time I've got left, I'll spend with my wife and kids. You know, or, 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 you know, any, anything of value, anything that's truly important, we put at the top of our list and that's what we make sure happens. I mean, one of the, when I teach family dynamics and parenting classes, I always challenge the dads, go home and ask your kids what they think is most important to you. It will be revealing. It will be revealing and maybe even shocking for some. Because kids are honest and they see what dad does and they, and where we spend our time, where we spend our energy, what we get emotional about, what we get most excited about, what we get most upset about. Those are the things that are most important to us. And, and unfortunately, some kids come to the conclusion, well, I guess sports are the most important thing to dad. I guess his car is the most important thing. I guess the garage is the most important thing. And that's truly tragic. Or I guess work is the most important thing. And they know, they know. And it's not just because we have to work a lot. It's how excited we are to see them. It's how hard we, we try to get time together. You could have, uh, you could, ha- you could be in a situation where you work two full-time jobs and you barely have enough time, but kids will know if they're the most important to you. Or do they just get your leftover time? You know, your wife knows it, your husband knows it, your kids know it, the people around you know it, your Bible talk knows it, your friends know it, how important that we all know, you know, we've all, we've all seen, if you, maybe you saw the Seinfeld episode or, or one of those comedy shows where they, where people are talking about, hey, where am I on your speed dial list? Back when that was a big deal, you know, and so priorities make a big difference. So Cain and Abel, and Cain gave some, you know, and, and unfortunately that's where a lot of people are at in their faith. They give some. They don't give the first. They don't give the best. They give some and they think that's enough. And God was not pleased with that. Because God is God. He deserves and respectfully he should get the first. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is live. Uh, <laughs> I've just spent way too much time in Cain and Abel. i got to keep moving. I'm going to have to move a lot faster here. To get through this chapter. So then verse five, we got by faith. Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Whoa, what an awesome paragraph. This paragraph right here could be a total sermon right here. This is a sermon. You young preachers, you're watching this. Here's your sermon right here. Just go line by line. You know, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. I mean, faith, Enoch believed in God and walked with God so intimately 
that God just said, come on, let's go. You know, I mean, I think, I think what happened was Enoch just went on a prayer walk. God said, let's go. Let's just go. That's just, you know, I, I, I'm tired of us doing the physical thing. Let's just bring you on up into the spiritual realms. You know, this has been great. You know, I, I often wondered about Enoch because, um, you know, what, what did he do? What, what, I mean, really, what did Enoch do? I mean, his, his story is in Genesis 5, 21. You know, it doesn't, he didn't win any battles. He didn't establish a nation. He wasn't king of anything. He didn't, what exactly did he do? He had a kid at 65 years, which is pretty young when you lived at 365 years. And I, and in fact, I don't even know if he was faithful to God before that, because it says after he had Methuselah, his son, he walked with God. So I don't know, you know, I do know this, that when you have kids, it makes you get on your knees and pray into God a lot more. So that will drive you to your knees. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. It doesn't say why he was so re- highly regarded with God. My theory, as I've shared before, is I think, you know, when, when, whenever I travel around the world, especially in, in other countries, I'll, I'll tell people, I'll tell the crowd, yeah, I've been a Christian 38 years. And people always go, whoa, they're always amazed by that. Because, you know, they're younger Christians and, and they had never met a, a somebody that old in the faith that's been in the church that long. You know, although there's brothers that have been around a lot longer than I have, but, but not many, very few actually, um, at this point. But, uh, but, uh, people are always amazed and they should be because 38 years in the faith means I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot of ups and downs. I've, I've seen glorious things that just should make me never doubt the rest of my life. Incredible miracles, people transformed, people who were almost dead have an incredible life, marriages that were on the brink of divorce that come back together. I've also been seen some incredibly bad things. I've been under terrible leaders sometimes. I've, I've had a, I've had leadership that was hurtful, that was damaging, that was disappointing, that was, that caused me to feel disillusioned and all kinds of junk, you know. And then I've been under fantastic leaders who were so inspiring and so encouraging and, and just helped me build up my faith and my convictions. Been up and down and tempted at multiple points in my life to quit or to walk away when, especially when I was a young Christian and young Christian ending under 10 years. Um, that's really when that happened where times where I just felt like quitting. And one time I even made the decision to fall away and somebody came after me and challenged me and helped me to get back on track. But, but that's all in 38 years. What would happen in 300 years? Whoa. Think of how many challenges Enoch faced and how many times Satan came after him and how many times there were traps set for him. There were detours to get him off track. How many times he probably had to deal with hurt or disillusionment or disappointment? How many times people let him down and yet he did not quit? Why? Because he walked with God. He walked with God. That is the goal for us as the metro region. We want to be the people who walk with God. That's living by faith. That's awesome. He never quit. So that's why Enoch's in there. And the last sentence says, he says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's not just believing that he exists. It's believing that God will take care of you, that God will bless you in the long run, that God will make sure 
that you have what you need and that you're blessed. No matter how bad a situation can get, God is always there and always rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's faith right there. That was what will keep us in the long haul because all of us will pass through difficult times. All of us will suffer for different reasons. Sometimes because of the way the world is, sometimes because of our lot in life, meaning this is what we were born into. And then even sometimes because of brothers and sisters even, and then sometimes at our own hands because of stupid things we do. But we will all suffer and we will all go through difficult times. But if we believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, it helps us stay faithful through it all. That's a key to faith. If you wrote anything down, write that one down. Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So, you know, by faith, um, he warned everybody and in holy fear built an ark. Now, keep in mind that he'd never seen a sea. He'd never seen rain. He'd never seen large bodies of water. So this was a huge step of faith for him to do this. And no matter how you break it down, whether you look at the language and say, well, that was his world that was flooded, not meaning the planet Earth that was flooded, or that that was all the animals in his world, not the world as a planet. It doesn't matter whether it's all of it or, or just his own world or the small world around Noah. What matters is that he did it. And and we've all heard sermons on this. We've seen, we've even seen movies uh, that show, you know, I love that last movie. It was, uh, uh, what's that one? Uh, not uh, Jim Carell. Is that his? No, um, Steve Carell. Uh, plays the guy who becomes Noah and, 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 and I love it because there's a lot of just little things that you don't think of that, that Noah probably went through. You know, people thinking he was crazy and, and him trying to get all this stuff and, and get all this together. And, and I think that it's, what's important is not the details, but what's important is understanding the incredible thing he did purely by faith. Just believing in God. And it says, by faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, that is, of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You know, he became, he was considered righteous because of his obedience, because of his faith, not because of his purity or because he always did the right thing or because he always spoke the truth. Those are important. And obviously, as a man of God, he was striving to do all those things, but it was because of his faith that made him righteous before the Lord. And, and then we jump right on into Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You know, the, he, he, then he brings up Abraham, who is the father of faith. I mean, he, he ends up becoming the example of a faithful family, of a faithful people, of a, of a faithful culture. You know, he was first called to go to a land he'd never been to. 
It's one thing to make a, to take a road trip in modern life. You know, we got a car, we got our conditioning. We know, you know, we get thirsty. We stop at Seven Eleven. You know, we start we 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 go to Walmart and load up with goodies and snacks. And and at any point we get hungry, we go through a drive-through. Travel today is so incredibly safe, so incredibly easy. Even with a pandemic, you still can travel. Not in his day. In his day. Travel was incredibly dangerous. He lived in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and this was in ancient times the closest thing to a modern city. This was a city, this was a people that were civilized, that were organized, that had military, that had laws, that had, uh, you know, that, that it was civilization. You could be safe there. You could travel across the city relatively safe. That was almost never true in the ancient world. It wasn't until the Romans took over everything and created Pax Romana that, that anybody could travel without being in grave danger. You were always in danger of being attacked by bandits, by pirates, by, by, by people that were just robbers and thieves. And I mean, just a lot of bad stuff happened on the road. Abraham is told to pack up and go with his wife and head out. He didn't even know where he's going. I mean, he literally put his his life and his wife's life on the line. Could have easily died. Could have easily lost everything. Not that he had much, but he could have lost the little he had. And the less you have, the more precious what you have is. And and, he, and by faith, he said he made his home in the promised land. Okay, in the promised land. This is same land that Moses would later on come and bring the, the people out of Egypt. This land was given to Abraham. It was, it was part of the province. It was uh, the promise. And so he was, he was sent there to take a hold of it. Even though when he got there, he was just a stranger in a strange land. He was one person. And of course, God blessed him and they, he did really well. If you read his life story. Um, but he had to live in tents. Contrast that to living in the city where he probably had a building, a house. You know, he had probably had running water, you know, with meaning a well. And, and he probably had a lot of things, conveniences. You don't have living in a tent out in the desert. Most of us, we live in a tent for five days when we go camping. That's enough. We're ready to go home. You know, he packed up, moved. And it's not, he wasn't an Arab, uh, Bedouin. He's, that's, he was from a city. He was from probably one of the most civilized people on, on the planet. So, all across the board, this was challenging, but he trusted God. And then, of course, when he's challenged to offer up Isaac, the very child he was promised to have more children than the stars in the sea and the sand on the beach, that promise, even that promise was under threat. When you're a 100 years old, it's not like you expect to have a bunch more kids. It was a miracle to have one. You're pretty much pushing it to think that you're going to have any more kids after that. And so this was huge. This was huge. And even the timeline, you know, he was, he was promises when he was 75. It didn't happen for another 25 years. He had to just everything waiting on God, remaining uh, patient, remaining loyal, remaining obedient, everything. You know, unfortunately, we live in a very now society where we want everything right now, right now, right now. And that's very unfortunate because there are many times God will take time. There's sometimes he takes decades to answer a prayer. Most of us, if we'll pray it three days in a row, and if it doesn't happen by a third day, we think, 
God doesn't exist, you know, or God let me down, or he abandoned me, he didn't answer my prayer, you know, he didn't do what I wanted. And that's not faith. That's faithlessness. Faith, part of faith is perseverance. Abraham persevered. And he hung in there with the, with the promises. And those promises all came true with him. Exactly as God had said. And, and, and then he switches. I think we're just going to go, we're going to finish this paragraph. And then we'll stop there because I don't want, there's just, the stories are too great and too important to rush through, through them too fast. And it says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Okay, so she, and here's a trick. If you feel like you don't have the faith in God, know that God has the faith. Know that God is faithful. Know that he is faithful. So maybe I'm not as faithful as I want to be, but I can be confident that God is faithful. You say, well, that takes a little faith. Yeah, it does a little bit. It takes less than to believe that we're going to be faithful all these years. Um, so Sarah was, was, she believed that he was faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So from this one guy who was well beyond childbearing years, you know, he was, you know, basically a hundred and promised at 75. Sarah, who was way beyond childbearing years, was given the promise and they both just hung in there, persevered and kept believing. As ridiculous as that promise was, they kept believing and therefore the promise was fulfilled. They hung in there. They persevered. They did not quit. And, and though it looked ridiculous and though it was dangerous and though it was catastrophic for him economically, he took off, went to a land that he didn't know, stranger in a strange land, foreigner, subject to robbery, pirating, everything that could happen, went through many challenges, even blew it a couple of times on his challenges, offering his wife as a, as to, to another man, you know, as his sister, not a complete lie. She was his half sister, but, but a lie nonetheless. And, and, you know, he got back on track and never gave up, never quit. Father of faith. He's the faith. He is the father of all three of the world's top major religions of Christianity, of Islam, and of Judaism. He is the father of the sons of Ishmael, of course, and the sons of Isaac, the, the, of Jacob. And, you know, I mean, no matter what happened here, God was faithful. And they just hung on to him and didn't let go. That's the message of the book of Hebrews, is don't quit on God. You keep believing. No matter what happens, no matter how much you suffer, no matter if you're thrown in a fiery furnace, thrown in a cave with a bunch of lions, told you, all, you and all your people are going to die. It, it doesn't matter. And not, you know, most of us haven't been through those things. But we have been through difficult times. And we have been through big challenges. And guess what? We're going to be through more. But we cannot be the people who quit. As it said in the end of chapter 7, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. We'll stop right there. And we'll finish chapter 11 next class.
See you next class. Thank you. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit metrolaregion.com.